Fuck pain, fuck heartbreak. I'm still in love with life. From the multicultural headquarters of the future capital of the free-thinking state of America known as Los Angeles, this is the Drunken Dows Podcast. Today, it's a Rich and Bellelli chat as we march forward through our next hundred episodes and discuss searching for compromise when none seems to be available, Jordan Peterson, agent of repression, Danielli's political haiku of the week, buzz bombs, Police brutality? Possible solution that's not rocket science? How about we all be decent to each other? Here we go. And now, asking you all to spread the words that corporations are not persons, I'm Rich Evers. And my partner in crime, the savage philosopher and middle finger of the gods, Daniele Bolelli. As we invite you to lower the lights, batten down the hatches, and prepare to open your mind. For the Drunken Dows Podcast, begins now. Welcome back, everybody, to another fine episode of the Drunken Dows Podcast, episode 201, on a sunny day, but not too hot yet, here in Ojai, across from me, in dappled light, Daniele Bolelli, showing that strong right arm. Yes, indeed, lots of practice. <laughs> we never have to redo the introduction, and somehow we are on our third take today. You it's, should hear uh, the other ones. So... Let's try to keep it real simple and to the point. Who should we thank for the kindness of keeping us in business? We say thank you to Shore Design T-shirts. Thank you. They have these incredibly beautiful T-shirts that I love dearly, and I'm wearing one right now. That's a super classic uh, right there. Our buddy Christopher Ryan for his Sex at Dawn book. If you guys want to check out Shore Design T-shirts, <laughs> there's a link in the episode notes. We are also going to say thank you to grasslandbeef.com. Definitely thank you. Which reminds me, there's some of your order in my freezer right now mm. so let's make sure you pick it up and you get to cook what do you think you make out of that london broil i'm gonna make some kind of delicious beef stew but then the buffalo bones will be along shortly as well so it's getting exciting i like it thank you to zebraathletics.com i get to start using my homemade dojo a whole lot more thanks to that there are these beautiful mats in my garage that allow me to have friends visit, train with them, I dig it. If you want your own homemade gym, that's a good first stop, zebraathletics.com. Thank you also to the folks who keep uh, the drunk in the drunken Taoist. We got Sellers and the materrawines.com. Both of them make oh such sweet tasting wine. Yeah, and Matera made that good vaccine too. They should be proud of that. <laughs> I think you're, we, we may be mixing brands a little bit there. Did so, I get that one wrong? Yes, I'm oh. afraid that maybe. Sorry about that. We also say thank you to some people. Let's start with the nice folks who have been parting with their harder money to support us. Let the pottering begin. So we say thank you to Big Cartel Online Shop, Diane Lynch, Jim D'Amico, Thomas Hoffman, Samuele Rudelli, Froggy Style Productions, Stephen Rados, Alpha Farrell, Rob Sheehan, Aaron Weisner, Lane Raper, Yanni Linnima, Luis Peschera, Jesse Rantakangas, Christopher Parcel, Austin Stilwell, and Clayton Payne. What an impressive list. You are... Anyone would be proud to have that many fine folks on their side. You are beautiful human beings. We thank you deeply. And for those of you guys listening, if you want to join this brave band of heroes, paypal.me forward slash D Bolelli. Again, paypal.me forward slash the letter D and my last name, B-O-L-E-L-L-I. And of course, another way of supporting us, if you use, uh, if you order from Amazon, it would be sweet if you go through dbamazing.com that will automatically trade some of uh, your purchases to our accounts. That would be sweet. Kiva.org, come join us anytime at Team Drunken Dallas. $175,000 in loans from you fine folks out there. Loan, get paid back, loan again. Kiva.org. Beautiful. With that in mind, let's get rolling. Showtime.
Hey, I'm going to play sound for you. Play sound. Let's see, can you identify the following sound? Oh, our When You Were Apollo film is on sale on the internet. So if you go to whenweweropollo.com, you can get your copy of it nice and cheap. Emmy winning. Regional, regional Emmy, but still. Check that out. I care not. Okay. So this has a little bit to do with that, and I just stumbled across this because this is incredible for everybody to know. The BBC has every sound effect they ever made available for your use at home. This one I went to first just because I'd thought about this for a long time. So let's see if you, let's see if it's loud enough for you. If not, I'll hand the phone to you, but we'll try to do it this way. So here we go. Airplane taking off. airplane taking off and crashing that is the sound you would hear standing in your farmland outside of london as the v1 buzz bombs came flying over oh that would be unpleasant and they killed seven thousand people with those things just shoot them into the city day and night just randomly bom nazi bombing of london yeah but these were rockets that they made they're not even really rockets too they're almost like jet engines the mm -hmm. reason they have that because that it's just a pop 50 times right. a, a minute of this shitty little engine. But they managed through like magnetics and gyroscopes to get them pretty damn accurate. And you know, you hit within a kilometer, I you're did, gonna uh, fuck people up. But yeah. just the thought that that's the sound, like if you're in the countryside of it, ooh, coming over you, and then when it cuts, it's reached its point and it just plummets. I did an episode on um, the Blackout Reaper. It's, uh, I did an episode on like World War II London during the bombing. And I remember that one. Let's sprinkle a serial killer on top of, of it. Of course, to what a perfect opportunity. Up. Yes, exactly. Wait, that body wasn't blown up. That body was cut in half. Yep, that's the one. That, that was a trippy one for sure. It just was a. It just that's all the dudes that built the rockets. That's them. Yep. That was their department. That's what they were doing. And the V2 was well on its way. Right. If he had had it a year earlier. Who knows what could have happened? If only they figured it out earlier, right? So many things. It's always a solid thing. Like if he'd moved his tanks to Normandy, if he had, you know, just a. But just the thought of creating this thing for one purpose to just shoot into a city full of people. Yeah. Well, actually, that. And it goes on to this day. That brings up an interesting point. So. You know, so many discussions, political or otherwise, I mean, since you bring up war, and in this case, you know, that very concept of just murdering a whole lot of people in war. Yeah. You know, one of the issues that I have with the um, very prevailing mentality made only more prevailing by internet is the we versus them approach, right? And the we versus them approach is very understandable because sometimes there are people who took, as, uh, who decide to take a stance that really is, the opposite of everything you find tasteful or human or desirable or anything else. And one of the issues with this is that, yes, there are some ideologies that are flat out obnoxious beyond anything else. There are things that are terrible. And, uh, and World War II proves that clearly there are cases where, unfortunately, the only language that's going to be understood is through warfare. However, for the overwhelming majority of cases, the problem with the we versus them mentality is that we live through this illusion that we can just wipe them, whoever them is, you know, the other guys, the yeah. bad guys, the, we can just wipe them all out so that the we, the good guys, will inherit the world. And moral questions aside, because, you know, genocide is always slightly morally troubling, there's also <laughs> yeah. the the realism standpoint, is you're not going to pull it off. It's just not going to happen. You're not going to magically eliminate all the people who have this ideology that you find absolutely awful. And so to me, it's essential to figure out ways to... And again, given some limits, obviously, because there are, if somebody's like, I want to kill everybody with dark skin, well, there's not a whole lot of mediation that can take place there. But short of the more extreme cases, it's really important to figure out 
way to mediate between the us and them. Not a, and it's not out of being nice guy or we should all sit around the fire and hug each other while singing Kumbaya kind of thing. It's not a for moral purposes. It's for purely practical purposes because these people are not going to go away. And so the only way that anything gets done, the only way that you don't spend your time at each other's throat from here to forever is that both sides get something they want. Both sides figure out that there's some aspect of compromise that they can live with. Because otherwise we're all fucked, right? Otherwise it's just this constant, never-ending conflict that, like, if you look at the current political situation in the US, for example, that's just an example because you can really pick pretty much any other topic in this regard. You have this kind of ideological stances where people are like, I am not going to compromise with those bastards. And I'm like, sure, I agree. I don't like uh, people who say A, B, and C. However, you taking this noble stance of saying I'm not going to compromise with doesn't necessarily solve it either. So the issue is, what can I give you not to be nice and then get taken advantage of, which seem to be like the standard... It's more like, what can I give you so that I get this other thing that I want? Straight up trade. You know what I mean? It's just straight up. Uh, you lose some, you win some, but you find something that works. So it's like, okay, you are 100% against abortion. Okay, I'm for legal access to abortion. So we're not going to agree on that. How about we focus on the preventive measures? What can we do preventively? Let's look at the evidence. What leads to the least amount of unwanted pregnancy? Can we agree mm, on that Education, but they're never going to agree with that. Right. That's, I think that's where the problem is. It's, it's, no, but even then. I'm trying to come up with something I would want from them that they would possibly give and can't think of anything. But even then, it's not going to work like that, right? They're not going to say, yes, uh, by all means, teach about contraceptives and this and that. So it's like, okay, why don't we run an experiment? One year. Alabama decide to go uh, abstinence only, uh, whatever the hell other state decide to do use this other program. At the end of the year, we see which one works the best. If your works the best, we adopt it in all 50 states. And if it doesn't, then uh, it, it becomes like an open deal. You know what I mean? Where it's like that, one way to approach it. No, I mean, these are, these are impossible to solve. And you're right, the whole notion of uh, we'll just eradicate every one of them Clearly, you're going to take yourselves with them, no matter what you process at some point. Yeah. It's not going to end up the way you want it to. Because that's the nature of warfare, right? Or, I mean, i give you an example. Okay, so there's, like, I was looking at this uh, video yesterday from, um, like, the rise of uh, sort of extreme right wing in Italy, which is funny that they even call it the rise, because it never went anywhere, you know? It's like, it's <laughs> not like it's, hanging out in the, it's north. the same thing that... Uh, so one of the hot button issues that trend to drive it is immigration, right? You have a fuckload of immigrants from Africa coming in. Clearly they come in with the shirt on their back. They have nothing. Of course, inevitably in those kind of conditions where there really are not that many jobs to give out to people, that will mean an increase in crime and increase in all sorts of shit. So you can see why. Some people are annoyed and they are like, hey, what the hell? And then he start pushing the whole uh, nationalistic, xenophobic, Italy for Italians, fuck everybody else, they need to stay out. And so that's where, to me, the dialogue then become like a moral dialogue. You have the people who say, these are human beings, poor bastards, you can't leave them in the middle of the sea to drown, you need to, we need to be nice to them. And the other one who say, nice ah! to them, my ass, because they are under my, uh, I got my house broken in three times last year because of the increase in crime, fuck you and you're being nice. Even to on a moral level, I would agree with one side more than the other. I do understand both points of view. Yes. They are, they are legitimate grievances there, you know what I mean? They are not like purely made up. Out. So the question then becomes, okay, practically, your main issue is you don't want your house broken into, correct? That's oh. what bugs you? Great. Let's figure that out. The other guy's main issue is uh, we should be more welcoming and take people in and help them out in this kind of humanitarian crisis. Fair. Is there a way to deliver both? If you can deliver both, if you can come up with a plan, boom, you got it made. If you are the welcoming guy, you just took the wind out of the sail of the more hardcore xenophobic one because then people don't have reasons to complain as much. You're going to have the few hardcore racists who are 
but they don't have anymore that kind of popular support of people who are not hardcore racists but are pissed off of having their houses broken into. And if you are the ones who only care about their houses broken into, then it doesn't really bother you that much. To be, oh, it's like, oh, wait, we can be, you can pat yourself on the back and feeling humanitarian, like, oh, I can do that if it doesn't hurt me. Yeah, and my TV didn't get stolen three times. Exactly. So at that point, then it becomes a practical issue. It's like, can you come up with a practical plan to deliver that shit or not? Is not an ideological one. Is a very, very practical kind of thing. And practical means it needs to deliver results. If it doesn't deliver a result, it's not the right plan and you're being welcoming. It's sweet, but it's not working. Uh, homeless crisis in the United States, right? Same thing. Most people are not, I want to go out and burn homeless camps. However, most people are also pissed off if they have to go through, uh, take their kids to school and they have to go through rows of people who are ultra drunk, throwing shit at them and so on. They're not happy about that either. Yeah. It seems every underpass in L.A. has homeless tents under it now. Right. So, again, that is not... And then you get these never-ending dialogues of people screaming at each other in terms that are purely, you have no heart, uh, you hate these poor people who have mental health issues or stuff, or... No, you are um, an absolute asshole because in, your, in the name of your being nice to them, you're making everybody miserable in the neighborhood. Those are dumb discussions. <laughs> you know, it's like, can you come up with a plan to make it work or not? Can you, can you show me evidence that if you, we do it small scale in this one place, it can be applied to the greater LA? Because, you know, you don't have to do a $3 billion plan for the entire city. You can start small, see if that delivers some results. If it does, okay, take it to the next circle and expand it. Well, apparently, we have 11 billion that we're going to set loose, and hopefully, it works. I think we we have to get the mental health facilities. That's more than anything. Yep. Get these people balanced out to where they can exist amongst others again. Yep. Or just put them in the damn desert, which seems to be the other, other people's opinions. Right. But I'm sure there's some guy in the desert that's gonna be like, "Oh no, no, no!" Of course, don't no. Of course, <laughs> don't send them out here. So, in that sense, when you look at like the arguments that take place on social media and stuff like that, they are unfailingly based on uh, ideas rather than practicality. And again, the ideas is the other side of that argument. It's never going to go away unless you can give them something that they feel like, oh, okay, that sort of take care of my grievance. Um, and I think that problem of not addressing people's grievances is precisely what leads to the growth of horrendous historical phenomenon. It's like, why do the Nazis show up? Do suddenly every other German was a hardcore anti-Semitic son of a bitch who wanted to wipe out an entire population kind of thing? Most likely not. They've been hanging out together for centuries. So you're going to have some of that, but you're going to have most of people who are pissed off with the Treaty of Versailles or the fact that their economy got shattered following World War One. Yep. Okay, so address that part. So then the Nazis don't have all that damn support. They don't grow into the beast they grow into. Same thing is like people uh, who always point out the evils of communism. It's like, yeah, if you look at the history of communism, there's a lot of shit. But the question you're not asking is why did that stuff become popular or gain power? Is because the previous system also sucked yeah. really, really, really bad. You mean it wasn't fun living under the royalty? Yeah, the under the czar and yeah. all of that or being a serf. On, yeah, it's so. it's kind of like... <laughs> Dude, you cannot just tell me those guys are bad guys. Yeah, I got it. But what's your alternative that works addressing the very thing that make those guys that you consider bad guys be popular? You know, because if you don't address that, it's the classic American thing of like, in order to fight uh, communism, we're going to prop up uh, fascist dictatorships because yeah. that's so much better. It's like, no, it's not. It sucks. You're not really solving any... It becomes this context exactly, this long-standing attempt at genocide that doesn't really work. So that's kind of my... I don't know... I don't know what the deal is in terms of... Because, um, of course, saying it and being able to do it are two different things, right? Yeah. And if you have uh, groups who are completely unwilling to compromise, if you are the one who's unwilling... Now, the problem is, sometimes, 
it's tricky to figure out even then why somebody unwilling to compromise because usually most people would rather get something they want than nothing they want so if you're being unwilling to compromise lead to you getting nothing well eventually there's a bit of uh, incentive to decide oh maybe i can compromise a little bit you know i think we've gone too far we're at the point where any win for the other side is a loss for me right no matter what no matter how tiny even if you get your win well, what if they uh, pull a fast one on me and I don't get my way? There's no trust. There's not a trust even to pass anything. Right. And look at all these state houses passing these draconian election rules. That it, it, yeah, can you imagine that in the Senate? You think, no, it's ridiculous. In the days of Jimmy Carter, would anybody have dreamed putting these caveats out where oh, you can't give somebody water while they stand? I mean, it's just yeah, yeah. No, it's the level of insanity. I think it's blossoming. Yeah. No, you're absolutely right. I think in some way it would be better off without the political party game. You get, uh, I mean, knowing the average person, if you get The Rock and Keanu Reeves on a ticket with, with not attached to a party, they are the figurehead uh, kings of the country or president or whatever you want. And then uh, they surround themselves with a bunch of experts and get the nerds to talk to each other and compromise on practical things to make it work. That would be a hundred times better than the bullshit political dialogue oh, that can took you place. imagine? No, it needs to go. Yeah. yeah. On that note, I created a, a political haiku that is going to make me very popular. I love a haiku. Let it, it rip. It goes, many left-wingers bug me. Most right-wingers are much worse. I don't like centrists either. So on that happy note. Well, that's an excellent one. I think, like, I feel about political ideologies the way Bruce Lee felt about martial arts styles, which is, it's the classic theme of, like, obviously some are better than others. I'm not saying uh, my approach, like, what I'm saying with the above was not, it's all the same. Like, ah, all ideologies are equally shitty. No, they aren't. Some are... Especially shitty. Like, beyond, <laughs> like, to the 10th power, and some are less than desirable. But the problem is that even the best, be, take the best ideology in the world, whatever that is to you, nothing has all the answers. Nothing has all, you cannot fix everything within what you find within those boundaries. And so the problem is that if you become too identified with an ideology, you become dogmatic. Now, I'm a big fan in light of what we were just saying about solutions are more important than anything else. I'm a big fan of taking from any source whatsoever as long as it works. If it delivers the results, I don't care where it comes from, which is kind of the idea of the MMA, right? Back in 93, you have the different styles like judo is the way. No, fuck you, karate. No, it's kung fu. And then you realize, hey, there's actually a couple of moves good in that style. That style kind of sucks, but it has one good thing. That one is actually mostly good. We'll take 50% of that. You mix it up, and that's how it works. What's so fucking hard about doing that with religion, with politics, with everything in life? You know. And unfortunately, I think we know the answer because it's something we have been hammering on, which is people build their ideology. Why do they become attached to ideology? Because it makes you feel safe in a very uncertain world that these are these fixed answers. You don't have to have nuance. No you thinking required. To, no thinking required. You don't have to adapt it to the context, which is hard work. Don't it's have like, to admit you're wrong on occasion. Nada. You oh, just boy. Follow that all sounds great. But that's the problem, that by nature ideologies are too inflexible to do that and so that's why to me the entire political spectrum but we could say the same thing about religions we could say about say the same thing about any aspect in which ideology plays a role is screwed up because it's like take the best part of that equation is still not satisfying to me it's better than the alternatives but it's not great but of course in that process you know when you play that game of like i don't identify with any of them the immediate response is that you're absolutely hated by every single one of them. Yeah. Whereas when you pick a side, you have at least 30% of people who are on your side. But if you're on a side and you think, hey, you know, that thing those guys just said might not be that bad. What? Exactly. That's exactly the point. Can't possibly have that. Precisely. Maybe we've been going about this all wrong. Maybe we need to reverse engineer the society we would hope for. But what would that be? What do you think that would look like? Um, Everybody taken care of. Nobody starving in the streets. Yeah. 
I mean, they're not major list. I'm not saying everybody gets a McMansion because I think McMansions are part of the problem. Right. But <sighs> healthcare, number one. What a fucking embarrassment. Yeah. Why should anybody have to worry about it? you think to me yeah, that's a shameful. pride of a society yeah. would be that all our people are healthy and if anybody gets sick we take care of them. Yep. That seems pretty basic. You know, if you are a civilized society, that's kind of step one. Step one. Because look what that relieves. Yeah. First, just straight out pain yeah. and suffering. Yeah. I didn't go get my toe fixed because I didn't have no insurance, so they had to cut my leg off, which ended up costing eighty thousand dollars instead of a yep. seven hundred dollar trip to the lab and pretty much fixed. Middlemen are a terrible problem. Yep. These guys that are always glomming on and taking a chunk out of everything, privatizing prisons, schools, all of it, insanity. How do we allow that? Oh, also a guy can have his fucking McMansion. It all comes back to one guy or a group of people skimming huge chunks mm -hmm. of what should just be spread around properly. Did you see the comparison of a, a, a white family and a black family as far as money's concerned? No. The average for America, a white family, 182,000. What do you think a black family is? Wait, what? Like 182,000 would be like the the mean. Nah, there's no way in the world. Well, this is what I saw. And then for the black family, it was 24,000. There's no way. Because it's like I was just looking the other day at California, and they were saying that the average income for one person is about 32,000. I think it's like average. family together. So it's like yeah. mom, Household kids. income yeah. is 75 okay. in California, which is like the highest of the eye. Well, I think this includes like property you own and your, your complete assessed value with your house and everything included. Man, that seems... Seems high, but the seems difference seems appropriate. High. The difference I buy, the numbers I don't. There's something that sounds... Where was that? Do you remember? CNN. Really? Yeah. Ish. There's something that sounds off, because there's a ton of poor white folks who clearly fall more into the 32,000. We, we, we didn't count them. They only counted as three-fifths. <laughs> right? Yeah, that would be interesting. But yeah, in any case, the point is there is inequality. The inequality there's no is argument. massive and unescapable. Yeah. <laughs> So I went back to the CNN website to see exactly what the article says, and it was from June 1st. It was called U.S. Black-White Inequality, Unequal Fortunes. It was by Tammy Luby, if you want to check it out. And it was saying the median net worth for households was 188000 for whites and 24000 for blacks. So just to clarify a little bit. It's fascinating. Do you, do you remember, you ever listened to that from long ago, that Dan Carlin series about uh, the fall of the Roman Republic? Yes. We check off every box. It was fascinating because, you know, you go through episode initially where he's showing you how the same problem come up over and over again. That, yep. you know, back in ancient Rome, you had an increased concentration of wealth in yep. the hands of a few. Overextending our military. Yeah, greater numbers of uh, really poor people willing at that point to do anything. To So greater number of demagogues emerging to run, you know, recruit a bunch of desperate people to kind of propel them into power. And the whole thing is absolutely obvious where it's setting, in the sense that this is not just bad for the people who are getting screwed over. This is also bad for the ultra-wealthy accumulating greater and greater properties because the social instability will, break, will bring the whole game down. Yeah, your security will bail on you at some point. And time and time again, you see those folks not caring just wanting to make that even more extreme, to accumulate even more, despite the fact that it's plainly clear that in doing so they are heading toward the precipice and things is going to go down to shit yep. for everybody including them and so it's kind of like are you really that stupid it's like do you not see that maybe having a population that's a little happier that's a little more bread in their belly and more satisfied that will ensure that you in your privileged position can continue to have it for generations to come rather than enjoy a big party with the champagne today and then tomorrow it all comes down to shit. I don't know how they can't see it. They have to be blind and that's or live in a reality that they just, I don't know, I've been up to the golf courses of Camarillo right. and there's a different air about those folks up there. They've got it locked down. This is never going to change. We've all got our Teslas and yeah. our golf course and they're not looking down the road. They think this paper money is going to last forever. 
I think that's you're right. I think you're 100% right. The fact that people who are benefiting from a system, even when it's clear to everybody that the system is heading toward the abyss, because the speed of uh, the catastrophe in the making is not fast enough that it forces you to pay attention because it's not happening from one day to the next. Or it's like, oh, damn, my house is in danger. It's like it happens over years or decades or even centuries in some cases. Then you don't care. Then you're like, eh, fuck it. They realize a little bit. They already got their walls up. Right. I mean, gated community. My question always is, are you locking people out or are you locking yourself in? Right. And it's, it's not going to hold yeah. a good mail truck to go right through the gate. <laughs> yeah, I think you have been thinking about Possibly. it. I do think about it because yeah. it's insanity. Well, I, I told you I was up there one time and you can look down into the valley and there is a migrant farm worker encampment at the bottom of this giant hill, yeah. this giant vista yeah. that clearly... How could you look at that every day? How can you watch this, Watch them? I see them from the freeway every day, bent over from 5.30 in the morning, picking those goddamn strawberries. Yep, yep, yep. And why, as a society, we wouldn't be willing to pay a dollar more for, I mean, especially out here, folks, you don't want to know this, but fresh strawberries like two ninety nine for a big quart mm-hmm. all day, every day, because this is where they come from. And I realize shipping them and making them shitty doesn't help at all, but... I would happily pay a dollar more if it went to help these people right. have health care, right. be safe, not have to work so hard, maybe get a fucking break. I mean... Did you ever see the movie um, <clears throat> Rising Sun? Way back when, there was Wesley, Wesley Snipes, there was... Uh, Japanese... Yeah, was Sean Connery in it? I can't remember, but in any case... I, I feel like I saw Early it. 90s, I want to say, something like that. And it was about when... Big businessmen um, going yeah, crazy. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And there was a scene that was super powerful, where you have these guys who are uh, riding in a car in the streets of LA. I think it was LA. And uh, they um, they are talking about economic things and so on. And one basically say like, uh, oh, you know, a war could be coming. And the guy's like, do you not see it? A war is already happening and there are casualties everywhere. And they pan out of the car and you see like the homeless camps in LA and you see and you realize that, oh, in that sense. Okay, that's a different kind of gig. But yeah, man, that's a fact. By the way, you were speaking of podcasts since we mentioned Dan Carlin earlier. You, uh, before we started, you were mentioning something about historical events that were highly troubling you for you to discover. Oh, I found out about somebody last night that I clearly don't know enough about. What is Leopold's genocide in Africa? Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. There's a guy. Um, great Was podcast, by the way. No, um, Belgian. Oh as uh, Belgium. And uh, the thing is, there's a fantastic podcast by um, Sebastian Major. He has this podcast called Our Fake History. He did a series on the King Leopold in the Congo. And yeah, it's a horrific story. Absolutely horrendous. But uh, recent, well, recent, not that recent, but still not forever ago and uh, really powerful. So it's, um, it's an He just went on one. a kill-a-thon, huh? Yeah, yeah. Well, I think I discovered that from all the other uh, local gen- uh, local massacres that went down other than just Tulsa. And, oh, yeah. And the amazing fact that the, the actual sitting president went down there and pointed that out yesterday. Oh, yeah, yeah, of course. Incredible. Yep. There have been, I'm actually thinking of doing a Tulsa episode for History on Fire at some point. I, if it wasn't for that show, The Watchmen, I never known about it. How, oh yeah, that's, that's the just one completely that... embarrassing. And I thought it was just amazing, made up alternate history uh-uh. when it, when it started. Yeah, yeah. And of course, my pal Will was like, "Oh yeah, check these other fourteen out: Elaine and Chicago, Millionaires. Yep. yep, totally. No, it's it's really crazy. It's um... talk about whitewashed. Yep, about later. Completely erased. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I'll ask you a question. I'm, I'm curious for what you think. Um, because everybody I know who's uh, very much kind of anti-police, uh, feeling that you know there's way too much police brutality, so that their general take is like they tend to be more critical than not of law enforcement for obvious reasons. Yeah. They tend to be critical of law enforcement in 
every single instance and vice versa the thin blue line kind of guys are defending law enforcement in every case but and, not but not supporting them when it comes to capital riots right now of course uh, but yeah that's a whole different one right just a piece of madness but i do find it interesting because to me it's like well cases are different at least to me maybe um but like i give you an example the the whole uh, cop kneeling on somebody's neck for nine minutes and killing them yeah if you defend that i don't know what we can say <laughs> you know it's so obvious that that's not how you arrest somebody that yeah. that's it's not the it's, way it's indefensible and the fact that other cops stood around and watched it happen yeah like, all right charlie that's enough get the fuck off of him that's so there's that so right yes. so you have the guys who defend it at all costs which to me seems clearly wrong and the guys are like see bad terrible police then there was a more recent case that I thought was interesting because his um, cop arrives in the you know there's this call that comes in and there's a fight happening outside. Is it the outside. girl with the knife? Yes. Yes. I at first my first reaction was oh my god oh well we should finish should finish. Yeah, it. I guess the quick summary of that for people is the um, cop arrives. There's a fight in progress and there's this going on uh, all young over the place. woman. She's a teenager. She's what 14, 15, 16, something, something like that. She like had a big fucking knife in her hand. Barely a woman, but still somebody with a giant knife who's trying to stab somebody else. Yeah. Cops get out, pull out his gun, shoot her dead. And so that's where. Take it from there. Oh, I just, my initial reaction was, oh, here they go again. Right. But then when you watch again, the girl, woman that got shot, she literally had knife, serial killer murderer from the movie style up over her head. Right. Getting ready to plunge it into somebody's neck. Yeah. No question about it. Yeah. He didn't have a choice. That's kind of my feeling on that. And if you're in that position out in public in a fight and the cops shoot you, you get what you deserve. I mean, yeah, that to me is the textbook definition of uh, lethal force when it's warranted. Yeah, you know, not, it's like not you slid a fake twenty to some dude, and this cop that apparently they'd known each other at the nightclub yeah. they worked at saw his moment to just show his power over him. Yeah, I don't think he thought he was going to kill him. Probably but not. Too but, bad. Right, you did. And that's the thing that to me is like the fact that we can even differentiate interests me because so often I see people are, it's a cop doing something. He's either always right, you know, kill somebody by standing on his neck. Yeah, good. What are you daring to question law enforcement? What do you want? Anarchy and chaos in the street is like, well, no, but what about somebody who just, you don't just give license to kill just for the hell of it to every cop just because or vice versa is cop clearly it's evil in 101 percent of situation and cannot possibly do and that's where kind of i have a problem with and not surprisingly in fact when i pointed this out it was always like i see among the people i know everybody was right wing was defending both the shooting of the lady with the knife as well as the standing on the guy's neck yeah and everybody was left wing was against both, right? Was saying both of them are terrible. Well, welcome cases. to the middle. Cause... Well, and to me, it's not even the middle. It's just like, dude, look at different. Because again, the middle is not like, oh, he should have uh, stood on his neck for four and a half minutes. That would have been okay, right? Or he should have. It's like each case is different. Totally different. So. How about we look at each case for its all its complexity? And we can have a discussion. You know, maybe you say, oh, he could have used that taser. I don't know. Is there enough evidence to back it up that that would have stopped there? If there is, let's have a talk about it. Not in the video I saw. This was the moment it was going to happen because if she did get her, I mean, it looked like she's going straight for her neck too. There yeah. was no sort of, it wasn't just, I mean, and then as we've learned from past episodes, cops fear those knives more than they do the guns when it's up close and crazy yeah, like and that. the whole like shoot them in the leg is like yeah good luck. Gonna that's stop her. not something that so i don't know man <clears throat> that to me goes with what you were saying about the um, the dogmatic approach the subservience to ideology rather than looking case by case and again case by case doesn't mean we have to we have to agree with the conclusion in every single circumstances. But why is it that I know before I even see the footage, I know already which side of the equation you're going to be on? Yeah. 
that's what to me I have a problem with. It's like if I just barely hear the story and I already know which side you're gonna take. Yeah. <sighs> and some of them are pretty easy, like the the lady cop who thought she pulled her taser. But clearly, like everything they do to train, make sure you never do that. Yeah. And blast this kid for a parking ticket. Yeah. There's a bit of a problem. So then there. there's a whole. I don't know. I mean, I remember when Rodney King went down, man. We were enraged, but that was because we were just unaware. The black folks already knew all about oh, how course, all that course. went all yeah, the time. And course. as usual, we are the last to the party. But that was pretty enraging. And then. Oh, yeah, there was another one that I saw not that long ago that was like, so this one guy was resisting arrest. Um, Climbing back into his car? Black dude, yeah. He has no gun on him. However, he's been a dumbass, right? He's like completely resisting arrest. He just is going back toward his car. Yep. I think even after saying something like, I'm going to get, I forget if he said something or not. But in any case, it's clearly, he's not complying and he's going in the direction where he has any weapons there, you're screwed. Yeah. However, he's taking four seconds to go around the car to do it you are in two three cops you can literally tackle the dude yeah. right yeah. shooting him in the back instead is probably not the best policy possible i don't know I so that's where to me is like okay i can see like the guy is wrong and yes you should go after him probably not with a bullet to the back no go grab him by the neck throw him down right not sit on his neck just little... yeah I, I don't and, and Everyone will argue, you know, well, in those moments, you don't know, and he could have an atom bomb on him, and just uh, nobody know. But it's clearly out of control. Yeah. It's clearly quadruple out of control when it comes to black folks. Mm -hmm. And I know the big thing came out during the George Floyd stuff, defund the police. But I think it was just improperly named. Because mm -hmm. the idea is perfect. When you got the crazy guy, we had a crazy guy in L.A. jump off a building Hollywood and Highland a few days ago. Mm -hmm. And it was the cops responding, and eventually he just jumped. Now, I don't know if they had time to dispatch mental health folks, but marital issues, suicide attempts, things that there are they other don't need the guy with the, with the siren going off, roaring up, that there's a possibility that a lot of these duties, because they put so much on their shoulders. I'm yeah. not saying their job's easy. No, and no, never definitely. would, without no. question. But it does seem to be, A, a collection of dudes that get it wrong a lot, <laughs> kind of like priests, keep showing back up, and they don't get drummed out. Mm -hmm. That's a problem. Them having to handle, you know, from every crazy guy who's off his meds to this, yeah. the, all the, the Simpsons are fighting again, here they go, which is clearly the most dangerous situation you go into because sure. the second they grab the husband, it's the wife that comes out with the pistol. Right. Those things could be handled probably by a different sector of emergency responses. And that just seems like a grand idea. Let's take the pressure off these guys. Let them deal with the harder stuff. Yeah. But yeah. then they don't have to waste their day. Oh, man, there's good time Charlie stumbling up the road again. He's obviously off his med, screaming, right. screaming at the trees. Yeah, that's where it's interesting because you get um, – some people argue that uh, it, the problem is the opposite, that you need to have more training for cops, not less funding leading to less training. And other people argue that it's, um, no, it's they already get a bunch of training. It's just that it's uh, they are doing what it's designed to do. So there's this more of like, oh, this is what the police is, the nature of the police to be. But in that case, it's like, okay. We've lost all track of what the police are supposed yeah, to be. Yeah, let's say you're right. Police but then are supposed what? to be... Mayberry and Andy Griffith, peace officer. Mm -hmm. He was there just to sort of, you know, he wasn't there to judge. Yeah. He wasn't there to shoot anybody. He was just there to kind of sort things, record what went down, and let it be decided later and not let it escalate. Right. Now we're in this time when these guys show up in their military gear, rolling up on... You can call somebody and say some shit's going down at their house. I guess they call it doxing. Yeah. And they'll kick your fucking door in because, yeah. oh, man, Bellelli's up to no good in there. He's sure. uh, He's got children tied up underneath his house. I saw him yesterday. Yeah, yeah, of course. And you just go rolling in? Yeah, somebody say the wrong thing. They make the wrong move. They get shot. Yeah, it's um, – there See, are definitely issues. But, again, that's where the solution to this is not an ideological issue because unless you're arguing the police need to be abolished, which is like, well, good luck with that. Yeah. 
poor you are arguing no it's great the police can shoot anybody they want anytime they want because as long as we have law and order that's what counts there's a middle ground there yeah there is uh, how about case by case we can look at what's appropriate but of course i mean again i'm not making a let's meet in the middle somewhere and it's all gonna work out with a wonderful compromise of course these things are hard i'm not arguing that any of this stuff is easy i'm just saying that what i'm saying is the bare prerequisite for step one is not the solution but is without this step one you don't even begin to look for the solution yeah, and we're you stuck know, where we are exactly as usual as with everything right so to me having a more practically minded approach rather than an ideological one like even think about the war on drugs right it's like somebody say well drugs are bad uh, these ones are terrible now let's forget let's not even talk about the ones that maybe are not so bad that maybe should be legalized for other reasons let's talk about the ones that are bad right okay. nobody's saying uh, heroin should be what five-year-olds do or you know there are some substances that are flat out bad for you Great. Is prohibition working in terms Never of getting has. them off the streets? Not no. really. So what what other approaches can you try? Not because you are pro-drugs, but because you want something that works. Try those things. I always see that, like I assign papers on these in school, and so many times I see this argument made, and I'm like, you're making purely an ideological one, like drugs are bad, so they should be legal. Take it to the next step. Is it working? Because if it's working, then you got a good argument. If it's not working, what are you saying? Yeah, drugs are bad, so do the thing that's needed to make sure that they are less problematic rather than more. Yeah, and it's the war on drugs that led to the militarization of the police in the first place. Precisely. That's when it went haywire. And, you know, gang violence and things like that, I'm sure, weren't pleasant to deal with. No, of course but not. If but if what they're peddling isn't illegal, so they're not making money off of it, yeah. well... They're not going to be quite as an attractive group to hang out with and uh, sling that shit with their pals. Most definitely. I mean, I didn't, in the UK, which which are the ones that legalized everything? There's a few countries. Uh, Portugal has decriminalized heavily. They're probably one of the best examples of it. Uh, Holland has some decriminalization. Switzerland has some decriminalization. There are a few. A and I'm certain and, uh, robberies decrease massively when someone can go get the supply they need and don't need to... Steal your television. You know what I have the hardest time arguing against is because uh, the, the middle ground guys, like the prohibition guys, are so obviously wrong that you point to Portugal, Switzerland, whatever else, and you say, well, that works so much better. Right. The guys that are traveling to argue with are the ones who take it way more to the other extreme, especially kids who grew up in China and are international students who are like, you get busted with drugs, immediate death penalty. That will take care of the problem. Yeah. And you're like, and then you see their numbers and you're like, okay, <laughs> I do see that. It is effective to some degree, but is it also, can there be another way that's a little less draconian and uh, authoritarian that still delivers good results? Wow. I got no arguments. Yeah, you just fucking kill them. That's I think Texas was like that level of strict at some point. No, but I mean, like, you need to read, like, these guys, like, all of them are amateurs compared to that, you know, Chinese government approach, right? Yeah. It's just like. Well, we need some kidneys to sell, so. Right. How so are you going like, to get them? Okay, that's. Uh, a little bit of heroin on it, but just brush it off, hose right. it down. See, you want a kidney or not? Speaking of political uh, ideologues, <laughs> uh, one of our favorites, good old Jordan Peterson. Oh boy! I saw I a couple they of put him away finally. Right, I saw a couple of funny things. He's one, depressed, you know. I, what I saw the well, and there are reasons. I actually saw a fantastic take by um, Gabor Mate. You uh, is that how you pronounce his name? It's M A T E with an accent. Gabor Mate, I think I want to say I don't know. I don't remember how to pronounce. I don't remember how to pronounce anything. Doesn't matter. But I saw this uh, video clip of um, uh, Gabor Mate is like notorious. He wrote some books about addiction. He runs this clinic using ayahuasca to help people out of addiction. But unlike a lot of the fufu guys. Uh, who are just like, yeah, take ayahuasca, it's going to solve all your problems. He actually has a very clinical approach to it, and he seems to have done a phenomenal job from what I hear. Like, I haven't heard a single guy ever telling me that the guy is full of shit or anything I've seen. Nice. 
And uh, somebody is asking him about Jordan Peterson. And unlike most people who get into these debates, who, again, they do it in an emotional, ideological response, like, fuck the guy, I don't like him because this and this and that. You just don't want to make your bed. Matt, that was fantastic because he was, uh, he started out by praising the things that he thinks Peterson does well. He said he's a very good public speaker. He can do this, this, there's that, but. And then he went into the but, and again, he was not a... Uh, that was, by the way, a very wrong sentence. Then he went into the butt. That sounded so. The 14-year-old in me is just laughing in a corner. But Make sure there's lubrication involved is all I got to say. The, yeah, no, he was very delicate in his approach to Jordan Peterson. And his butt. And his butt. But uh, he said something interesting that... Uh, he said, look, Peterson is an agent of repression, which, of course, like every other Peterson fan out there, immediately heard it as agent of oppression. And he's like, how can he say that? Is it? He's like, no, that's not what he said. He, that's a clinical term. He's not using it as an insult. It's a description. And what he's saying by repression is saying most of Peterson's techniques are revolved around the repression of one's emotions. His thing of like a two-year-old is throwing a tantrum, you put them in a room until they get over it. So it's like if the two-year-old is angry, you don't address why he's angry. You just make sure out. to make him feel bad about the fact that he's angry so that eventually he's going to put that aside and uh, learn that that's the way to do it. Will he put it aside or will he tuck it inside? Right. Exactly. And I think that's where Mate was saying, look, you look at Peterson and you see a mountain of rage, of repressed rage that's in there. That like a lot of his uh, kind of what-if scenario involve him kind of unleashing righteous violence against so-and-so, but then he's a good civilized human being, so he can do that and all that. So there's this ton of internalized rage, which is not a fault. I mean, you may have a ton of reasons why you're mad in life, right? I have no arguments with that. I'm sure I have my good share of that myself. The question, too, is that when you start to advocate it as a methodology, if that may not be the healthiest possible, like emotional repression is not the best possible response to produce well-balanced individuals. No. And so Mate was very good because, again, he was not making a critique of him as a human being as a whole or saying he sucks or he's terrible. He was just going on a very specific thing and isolating it and saying, it's kind of a problem with that technique, and here is why, which I guess is not as is not as entertaining, but is um, it's it's spot on, and it's the way you want to approach these things. But again, the fourteen year old me was highly entertained by they made an issue of Captain America, where they had uh, they took some uh, the super villain fighting against Captain America was. Uh, is using lines that are almost straight from Jordan Peterson. <laughs> and so it's like Peterson got all pissed off, of course. But, you know, the fact that you could do that where his ideas could be placed in the mouth of like some eight-year-old Nazi supervillain without that much of a disconnect should give pause. That's but, fantastic. But yeah, that was probably not as useful, but funny. I approve. Yes, indeed. So we've got all sorts of enemies lined up today. Um, we hate the police. We don't we hate, hate <laughs> We hate Jordan Peterson. <laughs> I hope they listen to it appropriately. No, we don't hate the police. No, nah, that's exactly. And I hope, like yeah, we said, they have a very difficult job. It's a necessary job. Yeah. What would we do without it? There's just got to be ways to, A, take some pressure off of them, and B, go through the herd a little bit to see the problematic folks yeah oh that's for sure to me it's like that's exactly the point is that's they cover, exactly they cover for everybody there's no well, records kept on any incidents okay that's rest that's shooting, the idea all that shit why do we not yeah. keep track of any of that come that, on that's the ideology right there is like people are anti-police they're so critical of everything about the police that then cops start kind of locking up ranks and defending people who are the very reason why people are anti-police. It's like, why don't you just do, if you assume that in a civilized society you do need the law enforcement and you do make that argument, then the one thing you want to do the most is to weed out 
anybody who's abusing that power. Yes. So that if you want to have a good functioning police, there's zero tolerance for abuse of power or anybody doing stuff that are offline, clearly. So if anything, if you are pro-police, you should be the first one who's going after the, the cops who are doing terrible stuff. Because yeah. they are the ones who create everyone else distrusting cops or having a bad image of cops, you and know? give them trouble with their own ranks, too. If there's guys that are on the take, yep. there's guys that are just always violent. And yep. Having to deal with them every day or maybe even being pressured to look the other way. Absolutely. And that, that's bad all the way yeah. around. It just makes all of it worse. So if, if you want to argue that the police has a legitimate faction in society and they are, oh, you know, we should fund them more, do this and that, great. Then be 10 times harder on accountability and make sure that you don't give ammunition to the argument, fuck it all, this is a terrible institution and it needs to go. You know, if you want to keep it, make sure it's good. Yes, just want to make sure that wasn't misunderstood. No, and I think that's... That to me is like when we're talking about compromises. That's one. You know, you have uh, people who argue the police is just a corrupt institution at its core. It has no place. We need to look for alternatives. You have people who argue, are you fucking crazy? That's never going to work. Your Haven't you seen how RoboCop ends up? Yeah, it's like, <laughs> no, you need uh, the police. Okay, so why don't the let's abolish the police folks sit down one second and accept to say, okay, show me improvement. Show me that we can have a functioning police that's not horrendously abusive. So you are pro-police, now you have a chance to clean up house to make sure that everybody sticks to some basic level of decency and everybody who can't perform at that level is out. Yeah. Everybody's you happy. A, you would see immediate improvement. Right? You got the guys who defend the police, can have it in a way that opponents are going to be less bugged with because there's less stuff to be bugged about. If if none of these incidents are taking place or they are so rare as to barely be existent. Yeah. And if you're in a situation where you're inside the organization and you don't got to deal with a bad lieutenant anymore, everybody's life is easier. 100%. Look at that. Solutions all over the place. It's not rocket science, you know what I mean? No, it's just being decent to each other. Yeah, pretty much. And looking at what works. Well, I'll tell you what would work if you pulled the pressure of healthcare off of everybody's shoulders. That would be a good start. Can you imagine? Yeah. People would take better care of themselves. Since we're referencing podcasts galore today, we keep another Dan Carlin one. This one is other one, Common Sense. He had, a, I forget the title, he had a great episode of Common Sense about healthcare just probably four years ago, something like that. He was. You uh, mean when he did his last episode? Pretty much, right? <laughs> he did, uh, he was, yeah, he was kind of late in the game. In the, but uh, it was brilliant because he, kind of, he was breaking down why it's so hard to change it and the insurance business and all that. It was, uh, it was very well done. No, we could do it in a heartbeat if we were serious about it. Yep. And yeah. Everybody goes to the doctor. Of course, then it would be tyranny. I have to get my, my maybe bi yearly physical. Mm -hmm. Oh, it's tyranny. I, I don't want to go. Well, the funky music means one thing. That's the end of another fine episode of the Drug and Dallas podcast. Look at that. Another one out of the way. We're Two almost to 400, just like that. Yes, we are on the roll for the next time. Closer than we were than we started. Let's make it happen. Cool. Thank you so much for visiting today. Yep. Making the drive and making all this stuff happen all these years. Quick thanks to Daisy House for the iconic theme. That's going to do it. And that's a wrap. Sweet. D B O L E L L I. Good shit. R I C H I M O N and the numeral one. And so ends another awesome episode of the Drunken Dows Podcast. Be sure to keep your ears peeled for another mind-expanding episode coming soon. We'll be tweeting you as they come out. You can keep track of Danielli at dbolelli. That's D-B-O-L-E-L-L-I. 
And you can find me on Twitter at Richimon1, R-I-C-H-I-M-O-N, and the numeral one. We'll see you all soon. Woo! I don't want to hear this. No, you don't. <laughs> in questo caso, in questo caso, le provvidenza di Dio. Duncan showed you the way, huh? Oh man, isn't that scary to think? Nice. So don't kill people, do that instead. <laughs> this was great. It's fucking awesome. And I love this conversation. I have nothing against chicken other than the fact that they are ugly and weird and strange. We've been yeah, having a great hour nice. here. Dun, dun, dun. Completely got lost. Are we doing the outro or the intro? We're outro. Oh, we're out. Okay, sorry. So that's so let's continue. Did you ever see the movie Tombstone with uh, Val Kilmer and uh, uh, your accent? It just whatever that movie is you were trying to tell can me. Can you about. translate for me, please? I believe the word was tombstone. Yeah, that one exactly. <laughs> just as I was saying, you know, Tombstone. <laughs> now, most everybody thought. <coughs> sorry. Well. <coughs> We'll do a cut on there. Or not. That was something else. <laughs> no, that's a bit too powerful. <laughs> what do I have to do? One day the rod shall teach you. Get back to work. Funky. Podcasting. It's like radio, but you can cuss. Why? I'm 50 now. Can you fucking believe that? <laughs> I was melancholy about it for like a good month. Like, uh but I think I was more worried about dying at 49. <laughs> so making it to 50. Making the 50 is like, fuck it. I think Louis C.K. may be a monster, but he had a great line. No one, get, There's no candlelight vigils for somebody over 50. <laughs> he had his chance.